Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and Attention Coach Jeff Copper. Our topic today, ADHD Studying Neurodiversity, a Coach's Lived Experience. Uh, We're going to get to the content in a moment. Before we do, we'd like to thank children and adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder for bringing this program to you. In celebration of that event, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, just listen to our show. We'll be sharing a secret word a couple times. Write it down. Listen to another show um, and write down the secret word of that show and then just email me just the two words. That's all you need to do. Email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get it, we'll forward it to Chad. We'll get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine and they'll send you a PDF copy of the next edition when it's in print. We have a little tip that we're going to share with you that Chad made and we'll get into the show. When you have ADHD, putting in an eight-hour workday while maintaining maximum concentration can be a challenge. Here are some strategies to help. Make your physical environment less distracting. Use your laptop, smartphone, or alarm to track appointments and deadlines. Break up long tasks into shorter ones. Take breaks and walk around. Before you leave work, take five minutes to organize your work area for the next day. To learn more about workplace issues, visit chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. Okay, so this is a really different show than what I've done in the past. Um, What I'm here today to do is to talk about – what I have come to understand as uh, how I think. Um, when you're an ADHD coach um, and you, you coach the way I do, which is really basically the client created naturally resourceful and whole, and I don't know what's going to work for them. I'm helping them discover what works for them. You go on like a lot of real interesting journeys. Um, for example, I had a woman I coached one time. We came up with a smell-based to-do list, and at that time, I didn't realize that uh, crayons, if you bought the right ones, had odor to them. Um, needless to say, is through my experience of coaching other people um, and my own uh, self-awareness and, I guess, metacognition, I began to understand my brain in such a way, both how I think and how I study. And I wanted to do a show where I share um, – what I know about myself and what works in, in the realm of, of digesting information for students out there um, and other adults to kind of give them a, an idea of maybe what to look for or what it looks like because thinking and learning and, and executive function, they're all intangible. So if you can give examples to people so they can get their head around it, it's somewhat helpful. So I guess to begin, I was diagnosed with uh, dyslexia in 1972. I was, I think, nine years old at the time. And 
it's an interesting thing. Most people think of it as a, a symbol reversal. Uh, I understand it as a coding and encoding problem. So if I look at a B, I'll often retrieve a D. So how does that play out? When I'm reading a sentence and there's the word boy, um, I might read the word doy. Now, if you can think about that, you get to the end of a sentence and you, the sentence references a boy, but I'm saying the word doy and thinking in my mind, that's confusing. So I've got to go back and reread the sentence and so reading is very effortful for me because there's a lot of coding and encoding, and as a result, I spend so much time doing that, it takes away from my ability to comprehend what's actually being said. Furthermore, it actually has an impact on my writing. I was diagnosed with ADHD later in life at age 1998, and I would consider myself a high-functioning person with ADHD, and it, it's there, but I really considered my dyslexia probably my, my bigger challenge. And so understanding that it's challenging for me to read and write. I'm not so sure I can fix it, but I've got to kind of deal with it. I'm going to talk about that in a second. The other thing that I've come to learn is I consider myself a big picture thinker. In other words, I've got to have like a construct in my head, like a model that I look at. And if I understand the bigger picture in that model, it enables me to forget all the details because I'm not very good at recall. What I can do then is think my way through in a way to figure things out. So one of the ways I describe that, it's on my computer. I have uh, my documents or, or Dropbox, and I've got lots of virtual assistants and stuff, and I've got multiple files under my Dropbox. One's personal, like an older personal file, and then a newer personal file, and then I've got one that's just my business, and one for me and Jan, it's just a, it's more stuff that only she and I can access. And I have other uh, um, folders that all my virtual assistants can access. So if I'm looking for something, I can rarely remember the name of the file or what it is, but when I look under Dropbox, I'm presented with options. I go logically, where would I find what it, I think I'm looking for? And I might click okay, this would be in a business file where everybody's access. And then when I open that, I've got a, another group of subfolders, which is basically another logical decision, like where would it be? And I keep clicking and clicking and clicking and going subfolder, 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 until I get to a file folder that's got a very finite number of files, and I can usually recognize what I'm looking for based off the name. Realize if I had to come up with the name, I would never really be able to do that. So that's kind of a top-down thinking process. Um, I'm sharing this too is like when I'm in and among people, a, a name is very difficult for me to retrieve unless I have a context. So I, I go to a lot of ADD conferences, and so when I go, because of my podcast, a lot of people are interested in coming up and talking to me about what they've got and coming on the show. When I go year after year after year and I see these people again, I really have a hard time remembering their names unless there's something that they did or there's some context that I know them in. In which case, I can remember, oh, this is with this group of people related to this particular incident, and this is this particular person. And even then, I have some difficulty with it. Understanding that I have a very top-down thinking process, that also translates into what I call an inverse learning curve. Most people, if you graph out a learning curve, there's a, a line that goes up really, really fast and flattens out. Mine doesn't. It goes out really, really low and slow and then spikes up at the end because I've got to get all the details and put it together in a, in a way that it makes some sense. So there's a lot of just anxiety, anxiety, and all of a sudden, boom, it all comes together and it makes some sense. So that's a few issues with regard to my brain and how it thinks. So let's translate this into uh, school. Now, I'm going to talk about when I was in school back in the 80s in college. Things are different. I'm going to relate the two, what I see 
now and what I did back then in terms of some things, but understand the core of what I'm talking about is understanding how my brain works. So back when the dinosaurs ran the earth in the 80s and I was in college, there was an emphasis on reading a chapter and coming to class. I can certainly respect that because if you've read the chapter it, and, and you have questions, it can facilitate a conversation with the professor and a lot of learning is done through interaction. However, for me, the, tr- the challenge of it is that if I read some stuff, it's hard for me to take the pieces and put it together into a big picture. What I found is when a teacher uh, would present notes or on the chalkboard back th- those days, they would have actually filtered out all the relevant stuff. And so they would emphasize what you really need to know and de-emphasize stuff that was nice to know but not relevant. So for me, while they always emphasized reading the chapter being prepared in class, I found that inefficient. For me, I wanted to go to class. Once I went to class, I became familiar with the information. Then when I sat down to read the book, I knew what I was looking for. Now, remember, reading is difficult for me, so I had to be very efficient at what I was doing. And so from a school environment, I had to advocate for myself. They said you should do it like this, but I didn't do it like this. I needed to do it absolutely the opposite of what they did for it to be effective, and often I found myself at odds with teachers and having to advocate for myself in order to do that. Another area for me that I learned um, early on was since reading is really, really difficult for me, I really like to filter and get the most salient points. And so um, back in the 80s, you would get a book. Uh, You could buy a new book or you could buy a used book. I always went straight to the used book, not because they were cheaper, but I would go to the store and I would look through the books looking for somebody who had highlighted the book and sold it. And basically I was analyzing the, the, the available used book and looking for the one that I thought was highlighted the best. What that would enable me to do is just read the highlighted areas, um, particularly after the lecture. If the lecture said something and I read the highlighted areas and it all made some sense, I was good. If it didn't, then I would go back and read some of the detail. And so, again, in order to be efficient, that's what I did. Now, in the world today, I would be very frustrated because so many things are really online. I would have to read all that material and filter it, which is just really very much of a challenge for me. And I'll talk more about that a little bit later. But, again, suffice it to say is cognitively I have some restrictions and – understanding reading is a challenge. I'm a big picture thinker, you know, trying to find stuff so I only read what I need to and try to to listen to things first to get a bigger picture before I read the details. One other thing to reinforce that is is if I were to read Shakespeare, again, reading is difficult for me because of the coding and encoding problem. And when you look at Shakespeare, the, the, the way the English was back then, it's not something I'm used to. So if I read Shakespeare, there's no way I could follow along and really understand what I'm doing. However, if you told me what the plot was in advance, because I know kind of how it's moving along in a bigger picture, I could often read and know where I was in the plot line because I had an idea of where the thing was going and I could relate the details of what I was reading back to that. So again, just more insight on how my brain thinks. We're going to go to a break, and we come back, and we're going to go into a little bit more detail, actually a lot more detail of how I think and how I used to kind of work the system a little bit to make it easier for me. Our secret word tonight, studying, again, our secret word is studying, and we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. 
Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by gigcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're having a conversation um, where I'm sharing some of my lived experience in college and understanding how my brain works and really problem solving. Most people call me up. They're looking for tips and strategies. Really, I think it's really more about problem solving. I know that I'm a bigger picture thinker, so I've got to problem solve around that. The other day, I was coaching a a person um, who just went to college, and they were having to read a book. And they were talking about how it might take them 12 hours to read it. And I could, God, I could relate to that. And I suggested maybe that they read the spark notes of the book first um, because it would synthesize that. And then as they read it, they would be able to determine what's relevant information and focus in on that and then irrelevant information so they could kind of skim through it. Again, just another example of understanding your brain, understanding how it works in order to maximize it. Something else that I used to do is that I'm learning now ADHD, you have a, a more limited working memory, and interacting and, and thinking outside your head or collaborating with people is really, really helpful. So when I was in college, I would go um, to the first day class, and they would pass out the syllabus, and I would always look at the teacher hours, and I would always be in the teacher's office, at their office hours, right after the first class. And my goal in this was always to talk to them about what we were going to learn and the materials that we were going to study. And the purpose of this was to identify what I needed to pay attention to. Often I found there was a lot of reading, like maybe a textbook and some other things. And what I found over the years is by talking to the professor or teacher about what we were doing, I could identify what I needed to focus on. Like it wasn't uncommon for 95% of exams or whatever to come out of the textbook. There would be other books or other things that you would read that tended to be the professor's favorite or a book that they wrote. But I found it was really more supplemental material. And if you really, really enjoyed that topic, you could dive into it. But for me, and because reading is so difficult, it was best for me to say, okay, the best I'm going to do is a 95% and spend all my energy and time there efficiently. I could spend Sometime trying to pick up the other 5%, but it was a lot of time to go do that, so I'd rather use that time to focus more on the textbook to get that right. And so part of my strategy was to go and kind of, without saying it, but I was asking them questions to try to identify what exactly I needed to pay attention to and from a bigger picture what the course was about so I could kind of focus on it. The other thing that I used to do, and I coach people to this a lot, is, again, I'm a bigger picture thinker, is that whenever you had a project to do or had to do a paper, I would never pick the topic until I kind of knew the answer or the angle. And as I say, like 80% of the work for these things, and I, I coach this a lot, should be done at the beginning and the topic selection. If you nail that right and you kind of know the answer, everything else is downhill. If you just pick the topic and you're not sure the answer, you're working backwards and you'll find that you're stressed out the night before. So 
I would often go to the professor's office and have a conversation with them about, you know, what it is we're learning in class. And I would brainstorm with them to kind of come up with whatever would make a good topic for me in an angle. And I was always looking for a topic and an angle, something that I knew to make it easy. So to share with you this, my younger son does not have ADHD, but when he was in high school, he was taking economics class. And they had to write a paper. And topics came out, and there was a list of them, and my son jumped on one. It was basically how you could lower taxes and it would increase revenue to the government. That's a counterintuitive statement. And I was asking him questions as if to kind of see if he'd listen to me, but I'm his dad. He doesn't really care what I'm saying. And he went about his, his business getting some research together, but when it came to writing the paper, he was very stressed out and it was very much a challenging when I was listening to him with my methodology, particularly on what he said, I looked at the book and I would have like, hmm, there's a concept in economics called um, demand elasticity. And you don't have to know a lot about economics or what elasticity is, but basically think of an X and Y axis and there's a line, there's a slope of it. It can be sloped one way or another way. According to economics, we know that if the demand slope is a certain way in it, in elastic, I always get confused those phrases, then you could actually lower taxes and would actually increase revenue. If the slope wasn't the right way, it wouldn't work. And so for me, having, I would have identified, hey, this concept of lowering taxes to increase revenue is all related back to um, the demand, the elasticity of demand. So knowing that, it would have been easy for me to write a paper. Number one, I would go looking for the research to support it, but the paper would be basically saying, hey, we know in economics about demand elasticity. When the slope is this way, it does this, and when it's that way, it does that. That's teeing it all up. Then I would go into, and I'm only looking for research to show the two sides. I think uh, Trump was trying to do this, and Reagan tried to do it. I don't think it worked the first term for Reagan, but a little bit later. And I would sit there and say, this is the supporting document, and this is what I'm kind of concluding, and this is where it is. It might be kind of vague to you, but the point really is is I, I would latch on to the learning and understand kind of what the answer was before I even wrote the paper as opposed to writing the paper to try to figure out what the answer is. And again, I would do that by going to the professor's office early on. It wasn't uncommon that if I had a, a – I would often get it done maybe, I don't know, a month ahead of time because I would go in and focus in on that. But again – the concept really here is that understand as I'm going and I'm making my learning easier because I'm working with a professor. Most people, students today, I get frustrated with because they don't, teachers are there to make learning easier. If it wasn't, then we wouldn't have teachers. They would just be facilitators. And I often encourage them to ask that uh, or go to, to work with them because, hey, <clears throat> if you could spend 30 minutes in office hours and come up with a great idea for a paper, it's better than spending six hours trying to do it on yourself. Now, the next concept is I was on athletic scholarship, so I had unlimited tutoring for free, and I think I actually had the highest tutoring bill at Indiana one semester when I was there. Most people are reluctant to go ask for help. I figured, why would I not use this help? I want to do it the easy way, and, and asking for help is actually a sign of maturity, and I find a lot of uh, students that I coach right now are very reluctant to go to the teachers. And so I emphasize, why do you want to do this the hard way? But another area that I run into is they get frustrated because when you go in, it's very common for people to say, well, what are your questions? And I like to delineate the difference between an education and a question. 
if you're learning a concept and you don't conceptually understand it, you don't really know what questions to ask, all right? If you have a pretty good idea of the concept, then you can ask questions. But often I find people don't really conceptually understand the material, and thus they're reluctant to go to to ask questions because they don't have specific questions, in which time I suggest, hey, walk in and say, listen, I'm trying to get my head around this. It's not clicking. I'm I'm missing contact. Can you help me here? And hopefully you've got a professor or teacher that will take it and kind of work with you and reframe, and they'll say something, ask you questions interactively for you to do that. Again, this is very helpful from a working memory perspective because a lot of times you need to interact with somebody to kind of think your way through that and kind of think out loud. Okay, let's go to break, and we'll come back. I want to start talking a little bit more about the role working memory plays and some specific examples of that. Our secret word today is studying. Again, our secret word is studying. With that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to our conversation. I'm talking about uh, learning and neurodiversity, and I'm trying to share my experience. I hope that you're starting to see a theme in what I'm doing is I'm trying to understand how my brain works, and I'm trying to be as efficient as possible. I only want to read what's necessary I want to go to get shortcuts to the teachers. I want to collaborate to identify things on the front side so I can minimize my work on the back side. That's just how my brain works. What I want to talk about now is working memory. ADHD is an executive function impairment. A big part of executive function is working memory. What that is is working inside your head towards a goal. I often will simulate this by asking people to calculate three to the power of five. Often I get a, I'm not, I'm not even good at math, or some emotional reaction because they don't actually want to do it in their head because it's too hard. Understand if you're calculating 3 to the power of 5, you've got to go 3 times 3 times 3, 27 times 3, and you're calculating that. And somewhere you get lost, you forget how many times you've multiplied 3 times the number. And, and Anyway, again, it's a challenge. And so this plays out all over the place in very subtle ways. And for the people now, I think it's worse than when I was there. So let me explain. Back in the old days, I had book and notes. And remember, I would go buy a book that was highlighted. So if I read part of the book that was highlighted and I didn't understand it, 
then I would take a look at the area on what I say on the page. It's highlighted now. When I look at the page, it's highlighted. I don't have to read anything. I know it's like a target. Then I have my notes right next to it. I highlight something, and that's a target. So I'm, 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 it's very easy for me to identify the two parts of notes or text that I'm trying to put together, think about, and reconcile it because my eye just moves from one page to the other page. In the online world, I'm finding students a lot of times, they're on like an online textbook. They have to read stuff. Annotating is very difficult online. And so what they're doing is they're having to read, identify the text that they're confused about. And as they read that, they read that, and then once they have it, they've got to go click on a browser or uh, a Word document or a PowerPoint or, or some other type of a thing where they're trying to reconcile. And then what they're doing is they're having to hold what they read and scroll to try to find what they're looking for or to read to isolate the particular area. Again, I had two targets. They were highlighted. It was very easy. But all that instruction moving from one to the other, often a person would forget what they originally read. This is frustrating. You've got to go back and do it all over again. It was difficult for me from a working memory perspective with them right next to each other. But I'm, I'm finding more and more students doing this, and it's effortful, and they'd really just kind of escape. Uh, I did an interview with Dr. Russell Barker a couple years ago. If you want to hear it, just a just Google Tension Talk Radio GPS, and we talked about working memory and how sometimes paper is high-tech for people with ADHD. Even to this day, I have a print everything, which I'll talk about in a second. So for me, I would put them right next to each other, and I'd highlight it because I was only trying to reconcile that, these differences. All too often, I'm finding students these days that are not doing that. They've got a laptop screen, which is really small. In corporate America, we've got multiple screens so that you can have that stuff right next to each other and maybe highlight it to a degree or, or bold it while you're there. This is, to me, a real challenge, and a lot of, I get a lot of, give me a tip, trick, or strategy. I'm like, well, you're using the wrong tool, um, particularly more and more I'm finding people, the smaller the screen, the more challenging this is. So that's a working memory issue. Another thing that's important, and I'm going to tell a story. This is fascinating. It's working memory related. I was coaching a kid in high school, which I rarely do, and he was having to work on a paper. And he gave it a draft to the teacher. It came back. And it had a whole bunch of, like, comments. And the kid was having a real hard time, so he went in and talked to the teacher, and the teacher gave him some feedback on what he needed to do the paper. But the feedback was kind of a general feedback, not paragraph-by-paragraph paragraph feedback. And he came back, and he was just not doing it. And I started talking to him about, you know, you're, there's some ambiguity here. You're not able how to translate this stuff. You really need to go in to the office and go through this with the teacher, like paragraph by paragraph, where they give you feedback, and you rewrite the paragraph, and then work your way through. So I was a little kind of questioning myself, and that's kind of a bold statement. I think it was 2017, I was in um, New Orleans for an ADD conference, and Dr. Russell Barkley was there. For those who listen to the show, you know I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's the most brilliant person on ADHD on the planet. We had a private meeting on some other issues, and at the end of it, I said, you know, Dr. Barkley, I just want to get your feedback. I, I feel like, was I doing the wrong thing by saying to this kid he needed to go in and get paragraph-by-paragraph paragraph feedback from the teacher? And he says, absolutely, that's exactly what they should do. And I was like, wow, that was, that's validating when he says something like this. goes back to earlier talking to professors, holding things in your mind and trying to reconcile this for people with ADHD is exceptionally difficult. And more and more, I find students that are sitting in the room all by themselves with a lot of anxiety, thinking inside their head in an uncomfortable way, as opposed to reaching out and getting that feedback along the way in order for them to kind of 
could to get their way through that. So again, these are all working memory related issues. Okay, <clears throat> next thing. In order to learn something, in general, first thing you have to do is notice it. It's got to register with you, and then you've got to pay attention to it. The more you pay attention to something and you can put it into a context that you can understand, the higher probability that you're going to remember it, and the more emotion associated with it increases that probability. Um, when I was in fourth grade, memorizing times tables is a challenge. I got nothing to relate to. It's just rote memorization. It's just slugging your way through that, um, <clears throat> which, is, which is really kind of a bit of a challenge. But when I was in school, I found I would write out all my notes. Interestingly enough, I would also, before a test, I would always um, use swimming. Like I've got to do something to have somebody else that I knew was really good at notes and ask them if I could copy their notes because I was going to miss a class. Now, I'd be at the class kind of hiding in the corner making notes, but I would go grab their notes and look at my notes and their notes to make sure I'd gotten everything. But where I'm going with this is I get my MBA, and I realized is that an accounting teacher one time gave me a class of five-by-seven index cards. and said, you can write anything you want on this. You can't type, but you write anything you want and bring it in. It's like a cheat sheet. And as I wrote my notes trying to get it down to fit on that card, it was interesting. I had four tests. I went to every one of them. I referenced the card once. I'm pretty sure I knew the answer. It was more for come point was is I had to write, write, rewrite, and synthesize it down onto that index card. In that process, I had to pay attention to it, and I actually digested the information. More and more, I'm hearing students where they cut and paste stuff. When you're cut and paste, you're not reviewing that information and going through it over and over and over. You're just grabbing that stuff for later. And if you're reading something that's top of mind and then you come back to it later it's a little discombobulated it's hard to put that stuff together thinking is difficult and there's this urge at that point really just to escape and i'm finding more and more uh, students you know typing online for some of them it's really really good but for others it's, it's a little bit of a challenge so for some it's like write write rewrite what they're what they're doing kind of over and over and over some other stories is to this day when i'm trying to do stuff. I, I have to do a lot of presentations. In fact, I've got a big presentation I've got to do every November at the annual conference on ADHD. And whenever I'm doing this, I have to storyboard my presentation. So it's, believe it or not, I might have 50 slides. I will print them off six to a page, lay them out on the floor, review them, work on three or four slides, get up to my computer, make the changes and print them all out again. I've got to see the story as it unfolds which is easier for my working memory to, to pull that together. Often I'm finding students that are not really doing that. They're trying to do it on the screen and they're having a hard time getting a contextual understanding of what's going on. Again, remember I'm a bigger picture thinking it's not this one thing, it's how it's all laid out. Another experience I'd like to share is my younger son when he was coming through high school was struggling in English. And this goes back to online textbooks and stuff. And about three weeks he was, he was struggling like at the end of school, with like two and a half weeks to go, he had a paper that was due. And I think it was like on uh, Animal Farm or Lord of the Flies. I don't really know. It doesn't matter. But I went online and I cut and pasted all this into a Word document. I think it was like 20 pages long. I gave it to him. I had him read it and highlight it. And then I had him read through the highlights again and to go about doing what he did. What was interesting to me is his grade was 20 points higher, 20 points higher than what he had had before. Again, some of this is moving in a way to digest that information in a way that is, is more user-friendly for those 
with ADHD and working memory challenges. Again, my son didn't have, doesn't have ADHD, but at the end of the day, working memory is a challenge for really everybody. In summary, the idea really is if you're going to learn, be efficient. I've had people before where I've coached where they were having to watch some two-hour video and they're having a hard time sustaining focus. And I'm like, well, why don't you get the transcription, particularly if it's on YouTube, and read through that? Some people read better than others. I've had people before that were very rhythmic, very, very rhythmic, and they've, um, they've been able to read uh, much quicker with a metronome next to them. As an aside, if you go to uh, uh, YouTube and Google Attention Talk Video Punk Rock, you know, a video will come up of uh, Dr. Roberto Olivardia talking about how he wrote his Harvard doctoral dissertation in two weeks. Uh, on a computer screen where he had word and punk rock videos, and the beat kind of kept him on it. Again, this is trying to understand your brain, your body. I've got other people that do better when they're uh, doing work on a treadmill with a plank across with a laptop. Uh, this is a little, you can't walk really fast, but they need to be moving. And they're releasing some energy in order to, to, to do this. The real story here is. In your brain, you can sit down and do it the way you think you're supposed to, or you can begin to witness how your brain digests information and go advocate for yourself to be efficient. At some level, people are always looking for somebody to tell them how to uh, study. Uh, when they come to me, like, I don't know how you should study because I don't know how your brain works. The idea is to help people begin to take a look at what they naturally do, times that were successful in order to help them discover their learning modalities and what works. For me… I need to go talk to somebody out loud to get the concept before I get into the details. I need to spend a lot of time on the front side trying to understand where I'm going and kind of frame out the answer before I write a paper or do a project. Um, and I just, I just need a lot of paper in order to see this. So with that, I hope this has helped you gain some, at least a picture of how it works for somebody and maybe help you begin to witness your brain and understand what works. A little bit about me. I'm an ADHD coach at Dig Coaching Practice. You can go there. You can access all kinds of blogs, my YouTube channel, my radio show, speaking engagements, all kinds of stuff. Um, with that, our secret word tonight is studying. With that, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Attention Talk Radio. Join us next week for another great edition. Take care.